Hi, and welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. I'm Tracy Monoknuku, a midlifer, menopausal, and at the juncture of life where I decided that I was going to kick over my bucket list, starting with this podcast. Since then, I've written a book, My Menopause Memoir, set up a website to support women through the menopause transition, developed an online course for menopause, and thrown my passion for fitness and wellness into an app specifically made for women in midlife and menopause. I also love delivering workshops virtually and in person to support women in the workplace when it comes to, you guessed it, menopause. If you're interested in finding out more about these projects, I've added the links in my bio and I offer podcast listener discounts in the show notes just for you. So check those out. As an indie podcaster, that means that no one is paying me to produce this podcast. I want to bring you relevant, interesting and engaging guests. By following and sharing the podcast with others, I can continue to make the podcast episodes and give you more of what you want to listen to. So let's crack on with today's interview. Welcome to this episode of Sexy Aging. I'm your host, Tracy Minoknuku, and today I have the pleasure of sharing a conversation I had with Amala Begum, who identifies as Muslim. There is real irony with this conversation. I lived in Malaysia for 18 years, a Muslim country. I was experiencing menopause symptoms for the last three years that I was there, except there wasn't a single memorable conversation I had with anyone about menopause. I don't remember comparing experiences or sharing great doctors that might be able to help. On my visit back to Malaysia, I led two menopause workshops. These were sold out events. It felt like I had been blessed to share what I'd learned about menopause with women there, and it was women from all walks of life and all faiths. No one held back and the questions and the conversation flowed. My guest Amala is a pioneer in the world of menopause. An expert by lived experience, she enables women to advocate for themselves and empowers them to make informed choices about their personal hormonal health from menstruation to perimenopause and beyond. The Aging Podcast today, I have my special guest, Amala Begum, who's going to be sharing with us one of the cultural discussions around menopause. And this is something that I've really wanted to dive into. Um, But just to give some context, I spent 18 years living in a Muslim country in Malaysia. Some of my dearest and closest friends are Muslim and we never spoke about menopause. Now I was going through it and just towards the back end of leaving Malaysia, I realized exactly what it was, but still never really had a conversation, whether it was lighthearted or heart to heart around what that meant for women in the Muslim community. And so I have my special guest today who's going to help us unpack that and understand it. So Amala, you come from a law background and you've got quite a That's few true. quite a few things going on. Um, I'll just read out a couple of things. You're a radio and TV presenter. You're the director of the Endometriosis Foundation. I know I have some listeners on the podcast that are quite curious about that topic. And you're a menopause advocate and coach. And I think any time we're on LinkedIn or social media and you see someone else in this space, you want to connect, right? And find out, you know, what's your, what's your angle? How are you going with that? Um, so do you want to elaborate a little bit more about your background and how you came into the menopause space? Yes, of course. Thank you, first of all, Tracy, for having me um, and being patient with me because we've tried 
we've been trying for a while to get this to get this um, conversation going. Um, and thank you for reaching out and recognizing um, that menopause is something within the the Muslim community that is approached very differently. Um, and I'm wanting to have this conversation, and I'm really really excited. And <clears throat> um, yes, those introductions. I'm actually. Um, step down from the role of director of endometriosis foundation and i'll come back to that because that's where my journey started um with endometriosis um so i'll come to where i am now endometriosis i had endometriosis for about probably just over two decades that's what i was suffering with um i didn't know um there was a lot of uh, different appointments different consultants different hospitals painful conversations, rejection in terms of consultants saying, well, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing we can do. A misdiagnosis, um, an investigative surgery, lapros laparoscopic investigative surgery, which came back and said there was nothing, they found nothing wrong. I was told by my medical consultant that there's nothing gynecologically wrong with you. And there was a suggestion about going down the road of um, antidepressants. So I declined and being the, um, the advocate vocal person that I am, um, as part of my radio show, I did a, quite a few series around endometriosis. And in one of those, one of my series, I think it's the very first one, um, I made reference to a consultant named Shaheen Kazali, who is based in the UK. So just to give context, I live in Birmingham and um, Shaheen Kazali's clinic is around about a hundred miles from where I am. So I did, went back and pulled my notes out from the radio show and I thought right this is the consultant that I need to go and see because his approach is very patient-led not um the kind of protocol driven we're going to do this and then this and then this is very patient-led so I went to see him I got my records from the hospital where I was told there was nothing wrong with me I took my file with me and um, copies of the images from the laparoscopic surgery and he looked at these black and white images and he said to me that's endometriosis yeah wow what a relief for you to finally get that confirmation yeah. what's yeah. really ironic is in these situations with women and you say patient-led we're often uh compelled to go into the internet and try to find out the things and then you realize oh a lot of these symptoms are lining up for me why is it that the doctor can't see it too and when you even mention it and this is a lot of where you know women get pushed back in the health <laughs> in, mm. their, in their consultations where you go well I believe it could be this. Can we investigate that further? I think you kind of, while we're not trained doctors, you kind of know that there's something not quite right. And of course, we all speak amongst ourselves and you go, do you get these periods like this? Yeah. Like, are your periods so painful that you're in bed for two days? That's just wrong, isn't it? So, it is, yeah. yeah. It is, and, be, and I think often as well, we're told, well, you just get on with it. And I think there's a huge gen gender disparity in, 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 in the, the health community, amongst the health professionals, there is a huge gen, gender disparity. And I think as women, we, we, I, we're seen like, as like we're just really strong and we get on with it. Or we're seen as like, they just moan about everything. Yeah. And you're either in one or the other. Why don't you just get on with it? Or here she comes again, she's moaning. And I think as, as, as women who go to see our medical professionals, we're not given that 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 time we're not given that consideration and so often it falls on us to do the research to have the conversations and find the spaces where we can go and have these conversations so we can make sure we're going in the right direction 
So fast forward, this was in July 2018. And once he had confirmed that it was um, endometriosis, there was a sigh of relief. Like, right, it's not in my head. Uh-uh, you were wrong. I didn't need antidepressants. So let's move on. Where do we go from here? And I wanted to have a hysterectomy. It's a decision that I made. Um, I wanted the quality of my life life path because endometriosis had debilitated me. It took my legal career away from me. I was so close to qualifying and, and, and finishing and becoming coming on the role of register of the solicitors. And um, I had to give that up because my health meant that I couldn't do it. I couldn't get out of bed. I was debilitated, the fatigue, all the other symptoms um, that came with it. Um, and so I had my surgery in well, actually 4th of June 2019 so four days and a day ago like I wow. didn't even realize it was yesterday would have been four years wow. um, so I had my um, hysterectomy and before I had my hysterectomy I did a lot of research I read up on medical books I actually bought a medical book myself the handbook guide that, that doctors you know medical professionals will carry around with them so I bought that and I read through so I kind of knew what I was to expect after a hysterectomy and all around hysterectomy and HRT. But even though I kind of knew, I wasn't prepared. Right. Well, we've actually got of, three episodes on this topic. So, okay. yeah, surgery, uh, hysterectomy and uh, surgical menopause. So I'm really curious as to your experience. So, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so one of the things that it says in the book is that if you keep, if you take, obviously you've got the full hysterectomy where you have everything taken out of the uterus, the fallopian tube cervix to ovaries and then you have the partial hysterectomy where you preserve you still preserve some of that so i preserved my ovaries and my instructions to my doctor my consultant was that if my ovaries are healthy keep it i'm going to leave it to your professional judgment so my ovaries were healthy i had the surgery removed the endometriosis removed my uterus my cervix and my fallopian tubes and my ovaries were still there. But what the medical book said is that during the process of the surgery, blood supply is disconnected to the ovaries because of the procedure that they have to do. And in that moment, the ovaries have a mind of their own. Mm. And if they decide, well, actually, you've disrupted me and I don't like what you've done to me, so I'm not going to come back on. That's me done with you. I'm going to ignore you. (laughs) Yeah, that's me done with you, relationship over, right? Um, And sometimes they'll come back on. So my ovaries, after about two months or so, became apparent that it wasn't coming back on. And Woo-hoo. here comes the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. I started to experience a, a whole, like, it was just this crazy symptoms that were going on. And even though I knew, I wasn't connecting it. And probably that was because there's a part of me that was in denial. No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you've got your ovaries. And I went to see my doctor. The first doctor laughed me off and he said to me, it's all in your head. I don't know why you think you've got, you're going into menopause. It's not possible. So I, I chose to terminate that medical consultation and I walked out of the room. Then I went back to another doctor and I did my research and we have something in the UK which is called the NICE guidelines, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. So I went to there and it says a woman who's had a hysterectomy, if she has got symptoms or even if she hasn't had a hysterectomy, if she's got symptoms and she's of that age of menopause, then you refer them to a menopause specialist. And so I went to my GP and says I need to get referred to a menopause specialist. It round about September, October time, 
my symptoms were getting worse. So palpitations, waking up, thinking this is it, this is my last breath I'm about to take. And as a Muslim, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on the latter part of, like when you're in the moment of death and the things that we're supposed to read. And, you know, and I don't think it's just as Muslims as anybody when you're faced with, you think you're being faced with death. So many things come rushing to you, yeah. to low moods, to... Um, it, the best way to describe it is like I became a stranger in my own life. So things were going on and I couldn't connect to them. I couldn't connect to people. I couldn't make sense of it. You know, the brain fog, the fatigue, the bone, the aching body, all of these, it was a multitude of symptoms. And then it was like having a conversation with a friend of mine, Heidi. And um, Heidi, I met through the Endometriosis Foundation. I entered in. Not sorry, not the Endometriosis Foundation, but the Endometriosis Journey. And I interviewed Heidi on the radio, and that's how we became good friends. And Heidi had also had a hysterectomy. And it's only when Heidi said to me, like, Amelie, it sounds like you're going through menopause. And I said, all right, okay. And so fast forward, um, that was in September 2019. Went to my GP, but in November I had a referral to a menopause specialist. And I went to see my menopause specialist in February 2020. And that's when I started HRT. Um, so right before COVID. <laughs> just right before COVID. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> you, you scored yeah. the jackpot then because I <laughs> was in perimenopause during COVID and not knowing what it was. And I just felt like there was a high level of stress associated with lockdowns and kids at home and stuff like that. But I was, you know, waking up, night sweats, all of that stuff, not knowing what it was. And that was during COVID. So you know, oh, I think that gosh. you hit the jackpot. <laughs> yeah, I got it just in, just in, because we had the lockdown that started in March. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then what I found is, <clears throat> where do I go to find out information, like real information, not leaflet information yeah. or Google information? Like, where do I go to find real authentic um, information? Where do I go to find the women? Well, and then I realized, there are no spaces. There are no conversations that I can have. Yep. And, you know, you said something about, like, in the Muslim community, why don't we talk about it? And I found, like, even my non-Muslim friends having conversations with them, they're like, we don't talk about menopause. My mom doesn't talk about menopause. You know, it's a conversation we're just told to get on with it. We've done it. You do it. Um, and through... Through my um, menopause specialist that I went to see during COVID contacted me and said, we're doing an interview. There's a lady called um, Fiona who runs the, the menopause school. She's doing an interview. And can you come on as a, as a guest? And we did an online interview. I think I did a couple of interviews with them. And that's when I realized, well, actually, I need to create the spaces. If I can't, if I can't find the spaces, they're not there. Yeah. And there's only so much, like, in the UK, we've got Davina McCall, and um, who, who talks a lot about menopause and raising awareness, and there's conversations, but there's only up to, it gets only up to a certain point, and I can't connect, because that, like you said, the Muslim woman aspect, and the journey of the yeah. Muslim woman in menopause, it kind of stops then, where do you go from there? Yeah. So I thought, right, I'm going to create the space, I'm going to create the conversations, and I'm going to do all of that. So May 20, 2022 last year even though I'd been doing the work on and off um not on and off I'd been doing the work but not under like a banner or a heading or anything like that um 
I then decided, right, I'm going to put this in and I'm going to set up my own organization. So I set up a not-for-profit organization, Menopause Talk, um, and I do workshops, um, doing online q and I have women, I speak to on a one-to-one basis, um, and it, the list is going on. And I, in my first, very first workshop, um, I think was done in October, it was in October, and um, I've done about five, maybe six workshops since and have supported around, so far had conversations and interacted with just around 200 women. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and it's so satisfying, isn't it? We're sp- very similar. Yeah. I did my first live workshop in October last year. And since then, it's okay. been literally every two weeks or something, there's something that's come up, someone gets in touch and it's like an online workshop or it's a live in New Zealand or and it's so satisfying to be able to see the people in front of you and the penny drops when you mention a few things mm. about what yeah. to expect. But I think one of the yeah. most satisfying things, I, I don't know if, if you're in this experience, but when there are men in the room and it's a workshop, and it, sh- it should be that way anyway, because this is not an exclusive conversation for women only. But I, f- I found that when there are men in the room, it's like the penny drops for them and the light goes on, like, oh, this is what's happening with my partner or my wife. Yes. Well, that explains that conversation or that explains why she's acting like that, you know, and then when they come up and they go, hey, thank you, you've actually helped me so much. You realize menopause is more than just a physical issue for women. It's actually a relational uh, career, you know, it just pervades across everything. And if we're not having the conversation, then it's not helping anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tracy. You know, it's physical, it's emotional, it's psychological, it's societal, it's familial. And it, the list goes on. It, and I haven't had any workshops yet. My, it is in the pipeline on request, on demand to do something with the men are involved. However, give me any opportunity to talk about menopause and I will talk about it. When the men hear what I have to say, you're right, the penny drops. And a lot of things, not just for their partner, but also for their mother, Mom, for their, their sisters, sister, yeah. for their friends, yeah. for the women, the menopausing women around them. Um, and like Fiona who says, you know, the people who you live with are your co-menopausers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so they have they have to know. So, and you know, you talked about um, not talking about it in, in you know the conversations in, in the Muslim amongst the Muslim community and the women. And I actually I initially thought it was just that, but it, it isn't. And I sit, like I said, I sit with my non-Muslim friends, and we have the same issue. And then Fiona, in her training and her work that she does, like has this amazing quote, and I'm going to keep referencing back to Fiona because I've learned so much from her and through her and she says we don't talk about menopause because we don't talk about menstruation and we don't talk about menstruation because nobody taught us how to that's really really good point yeah so we're we're all kind of floundering our way around how to have the conversation how to be inclusive you know like that's actually a good point yeah because if we talked about menstruation when we had the menstruation talking about menopause will be a natural thing so it feels quite unnatural like periods are seen as something dirty periods are seen as something oh you know yeah yeah and so we associate you know when something is earth and something is seen as dirty 
the concept of shame comes with that. Like this is almost like a shame in periods, but actually there isn't. It's a natural process, it's a natural cycle. And in, as, 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 as a woman, you know, a woman of, of faith, a Muslim woman, we say that it's a, it's a gift. It's something from, from it's God. Gift. It's how yeah. he's created you. Yeah. He's made you special because the women have it. So there's something about you. And you are also the woman who holds the womb. The woman holds the womb. You have the portal that brings light into this world. Yeah. But you have to go through this process of shedding and the, the periods and everything else in order to be able to also, you know, it, there's a lot of... There's a lot that the body is holding and having to go through because we have that portal that brings life into this world, right? Um, sorry, I've lost my chain of thought now. <laughs> with, it's okay. It's completely shame. normal here. <laughs> yeah, normal, yeah. yeah. So I talk about the shame. So the shame we start because we look at periods as a really bad thing, or you know, it's not even acknowledged when young girls say, "Right, I can't come into school," or "Miss, I've got really bad period pains." We don't listen to them, we invalidate them straight away. Yeah. And so it's almost in a young girl is growing up thinking like periods are something that you don't talk about. There's no space for them. Yeah. I There's remember no that being I remember that being the case when I was younger, but that's certainly not the case that I've experienced now. Uh, I have an 18-year-old and as she was going through puberty, she was very open and all her friends, very open, easy discussion, very relaxed about the fact that they were having periods or what was happening for them. So I personally feel, I don't know whether it's country or culture based, that that conversation is way more acceptable. And even at school, she said, I kind of asked her, we did an interview on the podcast together where we talked about periods and perimenopause. And she said, um, no, the boys are great. <laughs> They're good with it. They're good. They're here. I think, you're right. I think it's a country thing. Yeah. I think okay. it's a country thing. We're still we're still not there yet here in the UK. And um, yeah. so when 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 this young girl now goes through her menopausing journey, uh, and let's face it, menstruation is part of the menopausing journey because menopause is the upside down of menstruation, right? Mm -hmm. During um, menstruation, you're your hormones are going up and during menopause your hormones are coming down right. so it's the upside down right so when we have shame associated with it you come to menopause you don't talk about it yeah it all comes back yeah all yeah shame yeah like oh gosh this is another thing that we're not going to talk about. we're going to whisper about this one as well yeah yeah and then you'll hear things like you know the shame element of it it's just like oh gosh she's probably going through menopause oh yeah you know yeah. the mood and the, the hot sweats and the frustrations and the, the forgetfulness. And then you get labeled or you think it's a label and labels are often seen as something that are not good things. Yeah. And so it's the shame culture of it that takes us away from talking um, about menopause. Yeah. And I think, and, and, and I know in the Muslim community and it's not, I wouldn't say so much in the Muslim community but it depends on again which culture you're from. Because you might be you might be Arab, you might be South Asian, you might be, you know, from Malaysia. Which if you are listening to this episode in September, the next month is World Menopause Month. That's right, we get a full month to acknowledge that half the world's population will experience menopause. And the 18th of October is World Menopause Day. 
If you're wanting to host a menopause workshop or discussion for your place of work or retreat, reach out to me. I provide virtual workshops and live workshops while I'm in New Zealand and then live workshops when I travel overseas. My email is tracy at sexyaging.com and I'll put that in the show notes too. Explain, it's not even shame. It's not because shame is like you have, um, there's a negative connotation. So here is like modesty. Pri- I was, I was feeling like it was yeah. privacy that you were yeah. trying privacy to explain. And yeah. modesty yeah. the way that we, yeah. we, we conduct ourselves as women. And it comes for men, not just for women. Higher is something that also comes for men, not just for, for women. But I think the focus is so much on women. And, I, and then you probably find this in other communities. There's a lot of focus on, on, on women and the way women are and the way women conduct themselves and the way women behave and the way women are exposed or not exposed. For whatever reason, we're an exciting topic in every culture and every community that you can go yeah. to. Um, and I think as, as, as we take that concept of Haya, we take that concept of modesty and we bring it in like we're not supposed to have conversations around period. We're not supposed to have this, but actually we are because um, there's no shame. There's no shame in period, there's no shame in menopause. And, you know, we we as Muslims believe that Prophet Muhammad was the, the last uh, last prophet and he brought so many teachings with him and he would sit with women. The women would come to him and ask him advice on periods. He would sit with them and give them advice on periods. And, you know, there's so much references historically in the religion of Islam around women and periods and childbirth and, you know, everything relating to women from intimacy, whatever you can think of, there were conversations there. But we've taken this um, concept of modesty and it's almost kind of like moved so far away from what it should be and what it was. And because of that, I think Muslim women, we think we shouldn't talk about it. Yeah, because it means that we're compromising on our modesty. Yeah, yeah, you've explained that so beautifully, um, and I was really touched by you explaining how when the prophet would sit with the woman and talk about the periods and childbirth and all of that stuff. Can you are you able to elaborate a little bit more about that, which is from um, an Islam Islam perspective? If we really dive back, <laughs> obviously to the teachings of the prophet what is the perspective on menopause when it comes to living in today's world as a muslim woman and understanding that menopause is a normal stage of life how do you what do you understand how can you i don't even know what i want to say but you i think you kind of get the, the well, that's a I, really really good I'm, question Tracy. Yeah. that's a really really good question and do you know what it's a question that i often ask myself and i'm still looking for the answers to that yeah. and i i'm not like learned and in Islamic history um, and, and knowledgeable. So I'm not going to even attempt to answer that, but I am looking for the for the answers. And um, you know, I know that there's there's emphasis on women, you know, the, the natural numbers of the emphasis on women in taking rest. You know, even like the very I know there's a verse in the Quran um, which we believe again is the direct words of God. There is a verse in the Quran, and I don't remember which one it is, 
Um, I, I don't remember for certain, and I'm still seeking and waiting for clarity on that. But there is actually a verse in the Quran which says that women who have gone up to a certain age and they're no longer looking for marriage and they're no longer um, uh, of that age where they're going to to be able to marry and what have you not, they can actually remove the the, the headscarf. And I don't know what the translation of that is, but it's in or the deeper meaning behind that, um, and I hope I don't get myself into trouble for, for sharing this, <laughs> yeah. but what, it, what my understanding of that is that when a woman reaches her natural age of menopause, things like hot flushes, things like headaches, all of these kind of things, like we've been, we've been given then that we don't have to have the headscarf, we can, you know, be in a relaxed mode, be in a comfortable, comfortable way. Um, but again, that's something that I need to seek more clarification on. Yeah, that's and, really interesting. Yeah, it'd be good to be able to follow up with you on that at some point, because I think it, I just yeah. find this fascinating. I don't really see people for how they dress or what they wear. I see them from the heart of the conversation. So that's why I've never really mm. sort of, I don't know, I feel really connected to a lot of Muslim women just because of my relationship, irrespective of, you know, what we look like um yeah so i'm just so super interested in this conversation on menopause from your personal experience now so you're a muslim woman in the uk and you're taking workshops and you're talking about menopause um does the relationship between being muslim and menopause does that conversation come up do other muslim women approach you about that yes i have lots of lots of muslim women um who approach me and um I didn't set up menopause talk for Muslim women. I just set up menopause oh, talk for spaces <laughs> yeah. where women can come and talk about menopause. But yeah. it just so happened that all but about two or three women were all Muslim. Yeah. You know, and then I realized, well, actually, this is there's a huge need need for it. Um we don't, I don't know, we don't talk about it. We just don't, we have like little snippets of conversations but we don't go deep in and I think it's that I think there's also you know with menopause I don't know if you found this Tracy but there's a part of your life where you go through the denial of it oh yes <laughs> right it's not happening to me well I'm the denial is related to aging I think yeah you know that's and I actually it. think that, yeah that transcends any culture any beliefs it's that that thing that we're exposed to you need to look a certain way at a certain age and if you don't then you've done it wrong yes that's kind of I, was in bangladesh. I was in bangladesh um i went for a work trip um last year i trying to remember when i went it was not this year i went last year because i do i i went with a charity humanitarian aid charity and we do international um, charity aid work. And so I was in Bangladesh, I went this year, but the previous year when I went, and I was having a conversation with a lady and she was saying that we don't talk about menopause. Yeah. We don't want to accept that we're aging. We want our husband, we will go, no matter how much we're suffering, we will show up with our husband and we will look the best that we can because we don't want to feel like we've lost our touch and that our husband's eyes or attention is going somewhere else towards a younger woman. You know, um, and I felt really saddened by that. Yeah, that, makes that me element feel sad. of like, yeah, yeah, it feels it's that element of like denial of the aging 
and that I'm not going to look a certain way, I'm not going to be a certain way. And because we don't talk about menopause, menopause is seen as this really horrible, ugly, bad end of life stage that you're at. Right? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> so if you don't want to, yeah. that we're going there. And so let's not talk about menopause because if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist then, does it? Then it doesn't exist, I know. So what about, I mean, do you, but do you have Muslim women come to you and sort of sidle up next to you and go, hey, you know what, can we talk about this? Like, this is what yeah. I'm experiencing. Yeah. And I then know, I, I, I sort of feel like, okay, so irrespective of where you come from, what your background is, you're actually going to go through it. Like every woman yeah. on the planet and some obviously will experience symptoms at a much harsher level than others. And one in five women will not really notice, right? Those yeah. one in five lucky I don't know those people, but. <laughs> yeah, I talk about it and, and people yeah. in my community, people who, you know, are familiar with my, whether it's on social media or whether it's through the radio, whatever it is, they will come up to me and say, do you know what, can I have a chat with you? And I'm like, yeah, we don't talk about, and like, I think I'm going through menopause. Nice. But it, and it's like, okay, let's talk about this. And then they'll ask me, do you feel this? Do you feel this? Do you feel this? And then they're waiting for me to say yes and yes and yes and then validating those symptoms because it's a bit like remember when I said to you and you're having the periods and they're not validated yeah because then you don't think it's happening it's just you just get on with it so they're waiting for somebody to validate and tell them that yeah actually this is what it is and another thing is that not everybody understands menopause mm. so you can't go and talk to everybody about it because you'll get a response no, don't be silly that's just it's normal I go through it yeah but no, they're I not agree. Linking it. yeah they're not yeah, linking it to menopause yeah. so then we open up the conversation and then I make them comfortable and I think another thing about like with um I think particularly when I was saying about the modesty and with Muslim women let's face it let's talk about this let's have this conversation um intimacy sexual intimacy during menopause um we know from women and we know from the research we know from the information out there that sexual intimacy becomes very difficult for women because yeah. they have vaginal dryness mm -hmm. and vaginal dryness is a symptom of menopause yeah and women don't want to talk about that no, talking, I, I, about, <clears throat> talking about intimacy is again shame you don't yeah. talk about it um and when i tell women in the workshops like their faces just light up like i gave them the like the solution to a lot of their problems and i talk about vagifem which is the um uh, localized estrogen yeah for the, the the vaginal area and when i they don't want to talk about it they don't want to open up but i know that it's happening but they want to not know based <laughs> my, not yeah. based on my own personal experience but based on the the studies and the research and everything that I'm going through. So then I say to them, like, you can go and have the conversation with your, your, your medical, your GP, um, your health practitioner, and then ask them to prescribe you with Vagitam. And then they're like, okay, so what is that? How does it work? And I was like, because let's face it, intimacy is not supposed to be painful. Yeah. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be enjoyable and pleasurable. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are going through that, don't suffer silently. And because we don't have conversations around intimacy, they're not able to say to somebody else, like, I'm having this problem. Do you have the same? Yeah. Or I'm having this problem. Like, what do I do? Because I'm I'm so dry down there. It's it's really like difficult. And then what does that do? That impacts the relationship. Yeah. 
and everybody's happy in the home <laughs> right yeah oh well this i think that i think you're amazing like you you are sort of spearheading the way for a lot of conversations for muslim women i think just you know opening up and talking about symptoms and in a very practical matter of fact way i think it's just like frame frame it from this is your body it is your hormones this is the way life is and this is what we can do to manage it so we don't have to be miserable like life goes yeah. on and it, and it gets yeah. really good from here and i think once we're educated and understand it you start to look forward to things again right you, you're not stuck yeah. in the mire of your symptoms and oh is this what it's come to is this the rest of my life is it like so bad like this it's like oh actually this is it's a moment and for some women up to you know 10 years maybe longer of symptoms that's tough but You've got the rest of your life to look forward to if you know how to manage your symptoms, yeah. right? And and when you do when you do the age age um, uh, Fiona refers to it as the menopause maps, the menstruation and menopause maps. You're going to be in menopause for about a good thirty years of your life, mm. and yeah. you want it to be. It's the prime of your life. Yeah, you know how I describe it. You've got your you've got your period. Yeah, you go through life. Your estrogen levels are increasing, right? You're at your peak. Then they're going to start to decline. That's a rainbow. And at yeah. the end of that, you want to find the pot of gold. Right? I love that analogy. <laughs> you want to find the pot of gold. So why should that decline part be gloomy, be miserable, be sad? It needs to be where you can talk about it openly. It needs to be where you can go and sit with the right people, the right medical professionals, have the right conversations, have the right treatment, bring openness into your relationships. You know, all of those things. Um, and there's another thing that I wanted to share, actually, which has just come to my mind. When, but with Muslim women, we, I, you know, we, we talk about you don't feel connected. There's a disconnection that you feel. And like I said earlier, I felt like a stranger in my own life. Yeah. You don't feel connected. The things that used to excite you don't excite you. The yeah. things that you used to, like, you know, um, we just kind of like touch your heart. They don't. Yeah, that lack like of joy. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah, that. That, and that feeling of absenceness is there. So take a Muslim woman who prays five times a day and has a relationship with, because that's the, the key thing, uh, that five times a day that you pray at the appointed five different times throughout the day, it's that conversation that we have with, with God. It's that worship of God that we do. It's that showing up with God that we do. And it's, you know, it, we're surrendering and submitting ourselves to him. Now, when, when a Muslim woman goes through menopause, that sense of connection, spiritual connection with God, it's not there anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I, understand, I absolutely understand what you're saying. So I remember from a symptomatic perspective, I just felt a massive, a, a, sort of a lethargy. So all these little things that used to make me really happy just felt like they couldn't, they couldn't do it anymore. So... I, I understand and appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. So when when the woman then isn't feeling that, she doesn't, I, like for me it happened. And I was like, I don't know what to do. But I was quite lucky because I surrounded myself with good teachers, teachers, you know, knowledgeable women of Islam. And talking to them, they were able to say to me, well, actually try this and try this. Nice. And when I went to, so Makkah is one of the, the, considered one of the holy lands where we go to do our pilgrimage. And I've been there, pre-hysterectomy, pre I had been there seven times. And each time, this connection and the strength 
that I felt with God was so, like, it was just so deep and strong. When I went February gone, after hysterectomy in menopause, I was sad then, I felt no connection. And I cried and I cried and I said, I don't know what's going on. And then he hit me, well, actually, you're in menopause. You've lost that sense of connection, that sense of joy, the things of like, there's, an, there's this absence that you always feel, and this is what it is. But all the while, then when I did, I did um, in March, I did a Ramadan and menopause um, workshop where we talked about spirituality and the relationship with God. And when I started to share my experience, I'm telling you, Tracy, the number oh. of women who put their hands up and said, I feel the same. And I thought it was me. Oh. I thought I was bad. I thought I was wrong. Yeah, you're giving and them agency a... to express it, you know? Yeah. And that is probably one of the biggest taboos is to say, hey, in my faith, I feel no connection. Like that's not that's not just Muslim faith. I think that's any faith that you've that's that where you, where you open, say yeah. Yeah. yeah, where you openly and say, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so we all had a good cry. The women were able to cry. And to hear women say that this is the first time I've been able to say this without the fear of being judged. Only because one woman stood up and said, I don't feel connected to God. But that doesn't make me a bad Muslim. Absolutely. You know? And... You were saying like things about, um, you know, like women who have joint pains. Um, they're like, I can't do my prayer like I was used to. I was like, well, sit down and pray because God permits us to sit on a chair and pray. We can even lie down in our bed and pray. We don't have to necessarily be standing and doing, um, doing all the, um, the, the postures and things that we need to go through, the processes that we need to go through. And they're like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. And so what my, what my workshop focused on was just reframing the understanding of the compassionate God that we have and reintroducing to him to you as a woman who is going through menopause and you will find so many beautiful things um, about God and the ease because our religion is meant to be easy so it's meant to be a very easy religion man has made it complicated complicated and by man i mean just generally as in society and human beings have made religion complicated but actually any religion that you take is very simple Mm. very very simple it should be a natural integrated part of your life right absolutely yeah and so going back to the question that you asked why women won't talk about it imagine trying to sit with your people, your community of people, your family, your extended family, your friends, or you're in a mosque, or you're in a mosque community gathering of women, and you're trying to say, well, I don't feel connected to God. Like the fear of I'm going to be judged, like I'm not going to talk about it, there's no point, because nobody's going to get me. And all it takes is just one person to say, this is how I feel. And you will hear how many other women say, me too, me too, and me, Oh, oh yeah, and me. Oh, I am. I get that. that's really, really special. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people listening to this episode today. And while, while you know, we're talking from a Muslim perspective, I actually believe a lot of women of faith, whatever their faith, will also feel that. Yeah, for the last year, I have felt a disconnection, and I'm just going through the motions. Um, I've heard that conversation as well. So I'm really, really grateful that you opened that up. You are so brave. 
and um, I love what you're doing with your community and yeah it's really special this is a gift from God for you thank you <laughs> that's so beautiful mm. that's really beautiful thank you for that oh well I love this chat and um I'll just remind any of the listeners that they can give their feedback. If they're listening on Spotify, there'll be questions and polls to give their feedback. And of course, I'll pass that on to you, Amala. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy, for having me. Thanking Amala for her open-hearted discussion in today's episode. If you like this episode and you want to know more about endometriosis, surgical menopause or menopause for other cultures, I've added links to those episodes in the notes. If you're wondering if you're entering perimenopause or you've noticed some strange symptoms that you believe might be related to perimenopause, how about downloading my free perimenopause symptoms tracker? This simple document can help you track the frequency of your symptoms and can be used to help seek advice from your doctor. Check the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I'd love to hear what you thought, so feel free to answer in the questions in Spotify or give your feedback in Apple Podcasts and follow the podcast so you'll receive notifications for new episodes. And stay sexy.